So we have returned on Screaming from the Sidelines for the first episode of 2023. Happy New Year to everybody. Thank you for listening. Today's episode is going to be simple. It's a little bit of a catch-up episode talking about a lot of things that have happened in sports over the past couple of weeks. Of course, focusing on basketball and the NBA. We're going to get to DeMar Hamlin in a moment. Talk about Texas and Chris Beard. I had an experience at the Golden One Center, but sadly did not see the beam get lit, which just means I have to go back to Sacramento one more time, which I won't complain about. Uh, the Nets we're going to talk all about because they've had quite the turnaround and their win streak finally got snapped on Wednesday. I have something I will not apologize for as well as something I will apologize for. For earlier takes in the year, then we're going to go through some fun stats and trends as well as some of the latest betting facts that may be of interest to you who are trying to get some cash. And then lastly, we're going to go through the schedule a little bit later today. I am recording this here on Friday morning and we're trying to get this up soon so the content can be fresh. Before I get into all of that, since it is a new year, I would just like to take the chance to remind you, if you have not yet, to go and rate and subscribe to Screaming from the Sidelines. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I know those are the two big podcast platforms, but for the video versions, I am also on YouTube. We're working on getting a YouTube page up strictly for the betting shows. And on top of that, you can find us on Google, Amazon, or any other big platform where you get your podcasts. So please take the chance to rate and subscribe and follow and share to anybody who is a passionate fan, loves the game of basketball, or maybe you just want to throw a new fun podcast in the direction of somebody you care about. Let's get to the important stuff, and that is everything but basketball. In fact, it's not even really football when we talk about Bill's safety, Damar Hamlin, going into cardiac arrest in the middle of a Monday night game in the first quarter after making a tackle during a game versus the Bengals in what seemed to be a play that was just like any other ordinary play, uh, throw across the middle, makes a tackle, and the drive continues, all of a sudden turned into something much larger than a game that was going in with major playoff implications. All of a sudden, that didn't matter because Tamar Hamlin got up and he fell backwards immediately collapsing. Now, Twitter is the kind of place where you exactly want to go to. That's, that's the exact place you want to find yourself for any information. But it's also a slippery slope because you might find speculation or people being insensitive, <clears throat> Skip Bayless, or just anything that might be a little bit gross, uh, for lack of a better term. So luckily, not a ton of bad content on there, but uh, once we found out that CPR was being administered, it was a whole different game. I was obviously very concerned, the fact that Hamlin was down for multiple commercial breaks, but it wasn't until they showed the reactions of Bill's players and how they looked so distraught and some of them were in tears that I was really concerned. And I think most of America would agree with that. It wasn't just the Bill's players. It was the Bengals players. You saw Joe Burrow and Josh Allen 
talking on the sideline, exchanging a little hug, and nobody knew what was going to happen. Now, at one point during the broadcast, they said players had five minutes to warm up before the game would resume. I want to give a ton of credit to Zach Taylor, Bengals coach, and Sean McDermott of the Bills on the way they handled that situation and took matters into their own hands, trusted the players, uh, trusted them to make the right decision and prioritize being there for their teammate. It wasn't something like a torn ACL or a Achilles tear or a broken leg, all of which are brutal injuries, but never have we seen something just stop a football game in the way it did. And for a long time, days in fact, it wasn't clear if DeMar Hamlin was going to be okay. Now, the good news is he is making big progress. I mean, early as this morning, learned that he was off the breathing tube and communicating with his family and teammates. Cognitively, he was there while the breathing tube was still in, uh, communicating through writing. So he has a chance to make a big recovery, which is all you can ask for in a situation that was so incredibly scary and really unprecedented in the NFL. Uh, only one other time in my life had I experienced something like that as a live sports fan, and that was during the Euro 2021 tournament that was postponed due to COVID. And of course, Denmark's player, Christian Eriksen, uh, went down on the pitch. That was actually a no-contact injury. Equally as scary, and uh, everything was up in the air for a moment. So to see it happen again in just a matter of a year and a half was pretty wild. Not in a good way, but we are very thankful, and it's been really cool to see the support around not just the NFL, but all across the nation, really. I mean, it was very cool of President Biden to call Damar Hamlin's family while they were in the hospital. Uh, Non-football fans all of a sudden are involved. People are donating their fantasy football winnings to Damar Hamlin's toy drive, which is incredibly selfless and inspiring. So, uh, not much more to say on the matter, but wanted to, of course, acknowledge the most important sports news. Before we got all into basketball, let's move into a little bit of college basketball news. I know we aren't dealing with a ton of NCAA, and that's not because we don't care about it, but it's because there are so many schools across the country that probably until March Madness and postseason comes around, we won't be discussing it too much on the podcast. But Texas, the number six team in the nation, has parted ways with their coach, Chris Beard. Uh, they hit a big bump in the road with their coach being let go amid a domestic violence charge. Beard was making $5 million per year and is now getting zero of his $21 million buyout because in the contract, of course, if there was a felony or any behavior that reflected poorly on the university, he would not be entitled to such money. So a big bump in the road for the number six team in the country, and they will be a group to keep an eye on as they try to keep their championship hopes alive while undergoing some serious turmoil. Let's move over to the NBA because I had a great experience going to Sacramento First time this year at the Golden 1 Arena, watched the Kings take on the Hawks, and 
Sadly, like I mentioned, no beam. The Kings lost a close one at the end, but I just want to give a little shout out to the crowd. The Golden One crowd was tremendous in the fourth quarter. The Kings sort of had a game where they were losing for a lot of it. It was always within reach. They kept punching back, but they really hung in there. And they were 25 of 25 on free throws until 50 seconds to go in the game when Sabonis missed a pair. But they came back from multiple deficits, multiple holes, and De'Aaron Fox in particular is the one that got them back in the game in that fourth quarter. He had an absolutely filthy poster there at one end to a point where from my uh, seat, I couldn't even tell if he had finished the play until I saw him flexing on the way down. But it was uh, anytime you get to see something like that live, it is incredible and just another reminder of why we all scream from the sidelines. Sabonis, uh, by the way, I want to give a second to talk about Sabonis because he was not in the top 10 for all-star voting in the Western Conference front court. I do believe he's going to be an all-star, but one issue with the Kings is they have not had nationally televised games. And by the way, the one that they did, they put up, I think, 153 points on the Brooklyn Nets, who are now all of a sudden good, by the way, and we're going to get to them in a second. Sabonis is averaging 19, 12, and 7. He is first in rebounds per game. He has the most assists per game on his team. Uh, Second in total rebounds plus assists in the league. And he was not top 10 in the all-star voting. As much as I love Kavon Looney, who did crack the top 10, took up that last spot. I believe Sabonis will rightfully get his all-star appearance. And it's good for the city of Sacramento. It's good for a team that has been through a lot of disappointing times. This is looking like a team that is for real. And they looked well coached. Mike Brown never really faltered. I thought he was very smart to not use his challenge until the end because it seemed like the kind of game where he was going to need to use it. He did use it in the last couple of minutes. uh, Successfully got a call overturned. That was a foul call on the Kings. And I will say their defense needs work. But Mike Brown, in terms of handling this team, he had them playing a back-to-back in home after being in Utah. So they were back home after playing a wild game in Utah in which Lowry Markkinen was just a, a tenth of a second away from getting a shot off that would have lost them the game. So an emotional thriller for the Kings to come back and play against a Hawks team that had a lot to play for because they are still trying to find their footing. Just a really impressive effort, and although the loss was a little bit disappointing, I think Kings fans should hold their head high and realize that this team is different. I said it when they were 3-6 and six on the show. You can check the receipts. I was not doubting a team because they were so competitive in a lot of their games. I think eight of their first nine games were very competitive in what is a tough Western Conference. I think they currently hold the fifth or sixth seed in the West. So it's a long season to go, but what you're seeing from Sacramento uh, should not be any sign of disappointment. Let's go to the Brooklyn Nets, who I've also discussed a good amount on the show, and I don't think that is going to change anytime soon. So if you like my Nets talk, please come back for more. And if you don't, well, you might just have to skip chunks of the episodes. I am not going to apologize I said I wouldn't apologize for something at the beginning of this episode. 
And that is my clip about saying Kevin Durant would be the MVP. Not apologizing for it. He and Jacques Vaughn deserve so much credit for the way that this team has turned it around. Kevin Durant is one of 11 players attempting four-plus mid-range shots per game. He's the only one shooting above 50%, and he's at 59%. And yes, I know he has the body build and talent of a guy. You can't really defend. He can get a shot off at will. It seems that his co-star has finally calmed down. For now, I was very hard on Kyrie Irving. I don't take back what I said amid the drama with his uh, sharing a film with a lot of anti-Semitic tropes. But when Kyrie Irving is able to stay quiet and calm and not be an incredible disruption to the team, he is fantastic to have on your team. He is absolutely a difference maker. To what degree it's positive or negative, that's a whole different debate. But right now during the stretch, the Brooklyn Nets are 18-4 since Kyrie returned. They're also 13-2 since they got TJ Warren back. So having a little bit of depth helps. I know the main criticism on this team is their bench. And by the way, Joe Harris is part of the league's best five-man defensive lineup. So a fun fact there on Joe Harris. The reason I'm not apologizing for the Kevin Durant MVP take is not because I believe he's the MVP. In fact, I think he probably doesn't crack the top three if the season ends. I think you're looking at Luka Doncic, Jason Tatum, and Nikola Jokic. But my reasoning on Kevin Durant was not because he is the best player or because he's been disrespected. It was because of everything that happened in the last postseason and people saying the Warriors never needed him. He wasn't important to the team. I think those were a little bit hyperbolic statements when you have a generational talent like that. Really a kind of a once-in-a-lifetime talent, if I'm being honest. I think he was setting out to prove everybody wrong. He wanted out of Brooklyn. He had to stay in Brooklyn. And look what he's doing right now. He's turning around a team and making them a legitimate Eastern Conference contender. Now, I think that in order to get this MVP, he's going to have to continue putting up the numbers he is. I think these other guys might have to go through some slumps. And I think the Nets have to finish with the top three seed in the East. That is all realistic. But Kevin Durant has responded in the way that any Kevin Durant fan or Nets fan could have hoped this year. And he's still one of the very, very top tier elite players in this league. In terms of what I will apologize for, when I go back to my season awards episode, as I just did, I did not give Shea Gilgis-Alexander the credit he deserves before this year. He is currently the favorite to win most improved player, to nobody's surprise. It's probably going to be him or Tyrese Halliburton. I think Tyrese Maxey had a chance, but he missed a lot of time, so he'll be playing catch-up now. I knew that Shea Gilgis-Alexander was good, and I predicted that the Thunder would go above their projected win total, but I did not know that he was a star. He's not only an all-star, he is a star in this league, averaging 30 points over four rebounds and five assists. On top of that, he's a guard who is averaging a steal and a half per game and a block per game. So for a Thunder team that lost their second overall draft pick, Chet Holmgren, before the season, Shea Gilgis-Alexander has 
really taken matters into his own hands and prevented a tanking team from just completely falling to the bottom in this Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. Unbelievable player, no doubter, Western Conference All-Star. Be great to see him get in the starting lineup, though. Not sure how that's going to work if you have Steph Curry and Luka. I don't think they'll give three guards because that's usually not how they do it. Nonetheless, he's an all-star. I do apologize for not giving him the credit that he deserves. And if he does not get shut down at any point like he did last year, he should be a clear shot to win this year's most improved player. Let's move to some stats and trends because sometimes I like just going to the stat muse Twitter page and just scrolling for about 10 minutes at a time and seeing things that are both useful that I can talk about on the show, but also the most random things such as the Brooklyn Nets are one in seven in games when Ben Simmons makes a free throw. I feel like because it's Ben Simmons, that stat exists. Otherwise nobody would be paying attention to that. But Nonetheless, I just found that hilarious, and it's a great page if you want to be a nerd or have some random fact that you want to pull out, or maybe there's a special basketball trivia bar nearby in your town. Another fun stat, not necessarily reflective on the entire team, but Bam Adebayo has had quite the season on the offensive end. This year alone, he has seven 30-point games. That is the amount he also had in his first five seasons combined. So 14 in his career, half of them coming in this first, not even half season gone by. Great work from the Heat Center as they've been battling a lot of up and down injuries themselves. The Phoenix Suns without Devin Booker are problematic. And that's to put it lightly. They're 1-7 in their last eight games. They do not look the same. Booker is a showstopper, box office talent. Without him, a team that already people were speculating is a little bit fragile, may have some real uphill battles to climb, and they're still awaiting the return of Cam Johnson. So if Devin Booker comes back and Phoenix gets back on track, I will not write them off. However, if the playoffs were to begin soon... I would be incredibly worried and say that this is a team you would want to play in a first-round matchup. A team that I'm not so sure you'd want to play is the Memphis Grizzlies, because even though they're not perfect and they have their inconsistencies, they got Desmond Bain back playing a lot of games, and when he's in the lineup, they are 13-5. and So Desmond Bain, I think that's sort of the... That's the narrative that got swept under the rug a little bit in last year's playoffs. Yes, John Morant got injured in the series against the Warriors and only played half the series. Desmond Bain was out there, but he was dealing with a lot of back pain. And that arguably should have been the most improved player in the NBA last year. It did go to Morant. Hard to argue against a talent like that. But when Bain is out there and healthy, it is a very different team with more of an offensive punch given that their identity really has been defense now that they've cleaned that up a little bit the Mavericks have something going when Christian Wood starts alongside Luka so Dallas totally laid an egg last night Uh, they're still seven and two when Wood is in the starting lineup he's averaging almost 20 points per contest and he also has two and a half blocks 
per game he's out there. So I know when the trade happened, people speculated Wood would be the sixth man first off the bench. It seems like they're finding something when Christian Wood is out there in the starting lineup. And one argument people are making against Dallas is they haven't played a lot of teams. Like they have three wins against Houston, who is clearly at the bottom of the barrel. However, this is a team that still went to the Western Conference Finals last year. Luka Doncic is out there playing his best basketball ever. He looks more in shape. So if you have Christian Wood out there as another offensive threat, teams are going to start doubling Luka. He's going to be forced to make more plays. It's another reliable scorer out there for Dallas, who has been a little bit up and down. And I'm going to talk about them actually right now, because that is going to bring us to the betting trends. We are not quite halfway through the season, but I just wanted to look at some of the basic betting metrics, and I'm sure there will be more specific and random stats as the weeks go on. But at this point in the year, early in 2023, the worst coverage rates against the spread as an underdog are the Memphis Grizzlies, Milwaukee Bucks, and Cleveland Cavaliers. Those are all winning teams. Those are all surefire playoff teams, likely second round of the playoff teams. But against the spread as an underdog, they really struggle. Now, it makes sense on some level. The Cavs are resting Donovan Mitchell tonight. Uh, Milwaukee has had their fair share of injuries. Giannis has missed time. Chris Middleton's getting back into it. Drew Holiday missed time. For the Grizzlies, I just mentioned Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson. Took a while to get back out there. So some of it probably has to do with that. Now, I'm curious to see if this trend continues later in the season when lineups might be more healthy. But if this is telling us anything, it is that you take away one, just one key piece, and this team could be a whole lot different. Something to keep in mind as a better, always check the injury reports. Let's talk about the worst coverage rates as a favorite. The Houston Rockets... Orlando Magic, and Utah Jazz. Now, this shouldn't be too surprising either. The Rockets and Magic, they have talent, but they're not good teams. So if they are favored, it might be a little bit ambitious. It might be that they're at home. It might be that they're playing against another team that's not very good. Tread lightly. I usually like to bet teams like the Rockets and the Magic only if there's a large spread in which they're the underdog. If you can get a plus seven and a half kind of line in some of these games and think they can keep it close, that is much more effective. Now, Utah, well, they're not a bad team at all. In fact, I think they're probably the best of not good teams. I, they're still fringe to make the playoffs. They got off to a crazy hot start. They cooled off a little bit. Their offense is still great. They still fight hard. They can't really play defense, so if they are favored, I'm, you know, actually that's kind of interesting now that I think about it, because you'd think they would be favored against bad teams that they should beat. You know, Utah, it's just an area you got to tread lightly, because they can be real hot and cold, and they are very Lowry Markinen dependent on scoring, who, by the way, has been going crazy lately, another all-star to be. But keep an eye on the Jazz and don't get too excited when they gain momentum. They're not that good yet, despite exceeding a lot of expectations. The 
worst no let's do the best and worst coverage rates overall so the best against the spread will be the indiana pacers crowning the top the portland trailblazers and the philadelphia 76ers those are your three teams best against the spread the pacers pleasant surprise the blazers were a pleasant surprise early in the year and they've kind of stayed afloat in terms of the gambling and the 76ers were so inconsistent and such a mess, and they're finally turning it around as they're getting healthier. The worst teams against the spread, the Dallas Mavericks, the team I was just talking about with Christian Wood. Despite Dallas being so explosive and having one of the best players in the league, against the spread, they are not great. Now, I missed my Christmas pick. I said they were not going to cover that 7, 7.5 line. They won by 9 after exploding in the third quarter. But for the most part, this is a team you got to be careful with in gambling. I think they're a fair money line play. They do have a winning record. They are talented. But against the spread, they have just not cut it this year. The Miami Heat and Atlanta Hawks are the two other teams against the spread that are the worst. That's no surprise. They've both made it to conference finals in the last two years. They have the potential to be there, but their full lineups have not been out there for a majority of the season, and they're just a little bit of a mess. I think the Heat have a much better chance to turn it around than Atlanta at this point, but no surprises there, really. Uh, best off a win against the spread would be the Orlando Magic, a little bit of a momentum team, and then the Hornets are terrible against the spread coming off a win, so usually they get their wins in a little here and there. Not a very streaky team, though, so that's something to keep in mind if you get a good night from the Hornets. Off a loss, the Indiana Pacers are the best team against the spread, also the best overall, and tied for the worst are the Chicago Bulls and Los Angeles Lakers. Not really sure what to attribute this to. Both teams have been a little bit inconsistent. The Lakers started terrible, then got pretty decent. Anthony Davis is out again, and they're not really that relevant. So that's sort of some of the betting trends I wanted to give you. If you want to go back and rewind and write that down, please do. But keep in mind, trends are not laws. Just a fun little thing to follow. And another little thing to psych you out if you want to put your money there. Some games later today, and then we'll get on out of here. The Nets play at the Pelicans. This should be awesome. I mean, the Nets look to capitalize off a partially injured Pels team. Zion, Brandon Ingram, and CJ McCollum have only played 10 games together. So at some point, we need to talk about how dangerous they really are. Because if it's still like this at the All-Star break, that's a big yikes for the rest of the Western Conference. A team that knows how to play without their stars. And by the way, when those three have played together, pretty damn good. So keep an eye on that one. But the Nets just had their streak snapped, and they might be looking for a little bit of revenge. The Blazers at Pacers. Wow, two of the best teams against the spread. And man, this should be fun. So Portland lost a close one at Minnesota on Wednesday, and they're looking to respond. The Pacers lost a one-possession game in overtime against the Philadelphia 76ers on Wednesday. So it's two teams who have been successful in Vegas terms and two teams who need to bounce back in real life. By the way, their record off a loss just in terms of straight up, Pacers are 11-6 and six and Portland is 10-7. and seven. So both are good responders. This game is in Indiana, but if Nurkic 
continues to play. He he did play on Wednesday, but had a little bit of an illness. Then we'll see how that uh, matchup with Miles Turner goes. I'm excited and will likely be watching that one. We also have the Bulls at 76ers. Well, the Bulls are 8-1 this year against the Celtics, Nets, Bucks, and Heat. But they're not really good against other teams. And the Sixers are looking mighty fine in the East right now. So do the Bulls have more magic in them on the road again? Or no, pardon me, I believe that was at home in which they beat the Nets. I'm just trying to visualize the court. The Nets have their dark court. Regardless, Chicago's going on the road to Philly. Very hostile crowd. And right now the spread is Philly minus four and a half. I would probably lean in their direction because, let's face it, I favor consistency. However, that's another one I'll probably be keeping an eye on. Uh, Last one for the night in terms of relevant games. The Cavs play at the Nuggets. It's sort of a back-to-back with Denver because they only had to half play last night versus the Clippers. They were blowing them out, and I think Jokic only was on the floor for 24 minutes. Jamal Murray was their top scorer with like 18 points, so that game was over not long after it started. Nuggets are favored by a whole 5.5, and and I would honestly take that because Donovan Mitchell is resting, and this Cleveland team is a whole lot worse on the road. Final note on the Cavs, Donovan Mitchell was drug tested after his uh, checks notes. 71 point performance on Monday. Unreal by Donovan Mitchell being one of the rare special players to get into the 70 range. Uh, Robin Lopez was also drug tested too though, his teammate, and he scored one point that night. So if it wasn't a coincidence, it was a real nice savvy move by the league to just Throw Robin Lopez in there for a drug test as well. I don't think they were as worried about him. That's going to really, uh, man, that's, I want to see the Cavs play full strength against the Nuggets because I still don't know how much to trust this team on the road. Anyway, we're going to get on out of here because that's going to finish it off for the relevant games today. Happy New Year once again. Please go and share the love Share screaming from the sidelines. Go give it a rating. If you have any spare time in your day, I love getting to check out some reviews as well. So we got a lot of content coming. The NBA just keeps its wheels churning. And I will have to make my way back to Sacramento to light the beam. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. And as always, keep screaming. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.